Hi everyone. Welcome to STEM Samvad, meaning conversations around STEM. I am Tarunima Agarwal, and before we get started, I would like to warmly welcome the eminent expert who has joined us today for an interactive discussion, Dr. Amrita Shekhar. She holds a BSc in Chemistry from Saint Stephen College, an MSc and PhD in Biology from National Center for Biological Sciences at Tata Institute of Fundamental Research. I'll start off by giving a brief about what is STEM Samvad. STEM Samvad, meaning conversations around STEM, is a virtual interactive discussion webinar series hosted with experts from various STEM fields to discuss their journey, opportunities, and what the future looks like. This series offers authentic discussions featuring candid dialogues with the senior national and international experts. Now, a little bit about our expert. Uh, Dr. Amrita has been an expert in science in, and health policy space, and she has extensive policy experience in clinical research, including vaccines. For the past decade, she's also worked broadly on various aspects of health policy in India. She's worked in the private sector, in consulting, and in public health-focused research institutions. For the past four years, she's worked with Dr. Gagandeep Kang at the Christian Medical College, Vellore. This has been a tremendous experience, working with the government, academia, regulatory authorities, and with a range of international organizations. Her focus has mainly been on vaccines and infectious diseases, designing regulatory pathways to encourage health innovation, foster global collaborations, and coordination in key areas of health research and innovation. Currently, she's the Senior Program Officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in the field of medical devices. Also, may I add, she is a fitness enthusiast and loves reading and exploring countries, cultures, and cuisines. Now for a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Tarunima Agarwal, and uh, I'm a grade 12 student from New Delhi. Currently, I'm studying science subjects, and this is the reason I did this webinar. I wanted to combine my interest in STEM with an outreach initiative to spread awareness about different fields, the nuances, and what the future looks like. I also read, and I sing sometimes. Uh, Dr. Shekhar, I would now request you to uh, share your journey in the last few years and any insights you have for your field. Sure. Um, good evening, everyone. And it's really uh, wonderful to be here today. And I thought I would keep this really brief and I would just talk a little bit about science policy, about uh, my career so far, and uh, just general uh, sort of insights on how one can uh, start looking at science policy, how you can get involved in case uh, that's the sort of career pathway that you're interested in. Um, so as uh, Taranima has mentioned, mine has not been a linear path. And uh, this is just to say that there is no right way to do anything that you want to get to. And interests evolve um, as you keep progressing along your career. So um, I've switched, as uh, Taranima pointed out, uh, I'm pretty much a biologist, a consultant, and a policy researcher. So I started off uh, with a BSc in chemistry. And uh, towards the end of uh, my, my undergraduate years, I was uh, fairly convinced that I was very interested in biology and uh, especially in fundamental research. And with this view, I went on to do a master's and a PhD in biochemistry specifically. And uh, well, midway through my research career and towards the end of it, I realized that I did not want to be confined uh, in terms of fundamental research, but I wanted to engage in projects that had a more far reaching public health impact. 
So that was switch number two, where I said, okay, fine. I know that uh, I have, you know, I am equipped with skills in biology and chemistry, but I really want to do more in the health arena. And so I literally did my switch at that stage and started with interning with different organizations and sort of just trying to figure out what is it that I like doing. This involved uh, stints with the Public Health Foundation of India. It also involved working with Deloitte. Um, interestingly, also involved a short stint, uh, which you won't see on a regular academic pathway, working on um, with, a, with a media and a blogging website on entrepreneurship. And uh, finally, I started over the last uh, about four or five years working with uh, Professor Kang, who uh, I'm sure quite a few of you may know or have heard more recently because she talks a lot about the current pandemic and the vaccines uh, in the news and writes extensively on it. And over these last few years, I've actually engaged with a lot of policy in terms of working with the government. So understanding uh, the priorities of the government, understanding what uh, academic capabilities are, understanding what uh, the realities of implementation in terms of how is our health system structured? What is the last mile? And then working in this interplay in terms of designing uh, maybe programs where they're needed or uh, support systems where they may be needed or evidence to policy, which is uh, a very crucial arm of policy, which is why do we need to do something that we're saying we need to do? So is it that it's a big problem? How do I know it is a big problem? How do I measure it? Then once I start working on it, how do I know that whatever I'm doing is working, right? Um, so what I thought I'd do is very quickly over the next maybe five minutes, and then we can keep this open-ended, talk about what exactly is science policy? Um, what is the kind of job that you could be doing? Uh, what is the training that you'd need? And what are the possible career trajectories? And just some examples of different routes that people have taken uh, to work in science policy. Um, so it is what is science policy, uh, and as I discussed, uh, the kinds of jobs and opportunities. So science policy is really at this focal point of integration between, um, you know, innovations that can come out of science, but which have implications for the national interest or in terms of public interest in the country. So this is very broad, right? So science policy can involve climate change, it can involve agriculture, there's health, uh, this technology, so almost anything that comes under the intersection of all of these goals comes within the ambit of science policy. So um, as a recent um, news article summarized, those working in science policy take what is happening on the bench, and this is field agnostic, and bring it to the light of the day, right? So um, the questions that some of you may have uh, is, do I need a degree in science? If yes, then what is that basic degree? And at what level do you need to keep, you know, sort of innovating on that degree? Is it useful to do a degree in policy? Because many institutions now offer degrees in policy. And then finally, once you've qualified or done these various degrees, then what is the kind of job that you're looking at, right? So I would say that a degree in a scientific discipline is strongly recommended. Having said that, it does not matter whether that degrees in chemistry or physics or maths or uh, economics or biology or you know, some specific sub-aspect of biology, um, just a, a scientific discipline because if you wanna be in science policy, it just makes it easier, but it's not impossible to get into this without a degree. Many of 
my colleagues, for instance, um, at the foundation do not have um, science degrees, but do a lot of work. A lot of MBAs do a lot of work uh, consulting and working with health organizations, and they work in the area of health, they work in the area of uh, public policy and may not have necessarily uh, a PhD in, in the areas that they're working in. Um, as I said, switches can be made at all career stages. You have opportunities in terms of what is open to you, uh, international organizations, you have advocacy groups, government bodies, non-government organizations, independent think tanks, funding agencies, you can be an independent consultant, uh, you can work with a lot of the consulting firms that now have large public sector arms that work with the government. So the opportunities really are endless. So how can you get there? So like I said, there are formal routes. There are master's programs uh, which are offered specifically in science policies by various universities. There are science policy fellowships that are available to uh, people who have done their PhD. So in case you want to make the switch a little later in life. And again, there are master's programs in public policy. Uh, general advice to everyone who's thinking about getting into science policy is that work after you know, you've finished um, your college degrees, do about a year or two of work. It could be in the form of an internship. It could be in the form of working as an analyst. But try and work with organizations that work in the field to really understand what the day-to-day -day looks like. Um, and, and then really assess for yourself whether it is something that you enjoy before deciding to do master's programs in policy. The simple reason for this is master's programs tend to be really expensive. And if you really want to derive maximum benefit from a study program, it's always good to know uh, what your interest areas are. So then you can really just derive the best from those programs. Uh, the informal routes, like I said, is you can make lateral entries, so you can shadow policymakers. There's LAMP uh, Fellowship, which is offered by uh, PRS, which is one of the organizations um, that, uh, you know, starts this fellowship program. You can have short-term projects with various NGOs and developmental organizations, like I said, at, through an internship route. And many people end up staying on within those organizations and then doing master's degrees or PhD degrees much later in life. Uh, many think tanks, um, you know, in fact, now the Department of Science and Technology has its own centers for policy research. And of course, you have policy units in organizations. And uh, so really limitless ways to get there. So these are just some case examples of people who've entered science policy. Uh, this is really the first one is a basic and an advanced degree in science. And then you join an academic institute. You are there as a faculty member. And of course, initially to begin with, you're consulted on policy deliberations on things related to your area. And over time, you become an expert in that area. So this is the typical canonical pathway for science policy that has been there in India so far. So when you look at your expert panels for something like a vaccines, or you look at expert panels for anything in the country, most of the people have followed this pathway. The other one, as I said, is you could be an engineer, you could do a PhD, you can do a pharma or a biotech course, and then you can work with industry. And then once you're working with industry, again, you can get back into influencing policy because you have a lot of sector specific knowledge. And eventually policy is very connected, right? The next could be you could do community medicine, you can do a public policy degree, and it doesn't have to be community medicine, it could be any 
any kind of undergraduate degree and you can do a public policy degree. And you can be an independent researcher after having done a medical degree or you, know, you can become an infectious disease specialist. Um, the newer parts, like I said, there are, there's the LAMP fellowship. Now you have BIRAC, which is, it's not new anymore, but it's been around with the Department of Biotechnology. And that encourages a lot of young researchers to come and work in the innovation system. Uh, you have the uh, DST Center for Policy Research. So there are a lot of think tanks. You could work in disease modeling. A lot of people who've done disease modeling, for instance, again, if uh, for those of you who've been following the pandemic, there's a lot of modeling that has suddenly come to the forefront about how will the disease develop? Will there be a third wave? How will things evolve? And of course, many other such paths. So how do you get there? Well, there are multiple ways and I guess whatever works best for you is a good part. So I'll stop here and uh, leave it to questions and any other things that you may want to discuss in the remainder of the time. Thank you. Right, that was very insightful, Dr. Shekhar. And uh, it did provide a sneak peek into this area and what the future looks like. So I'll start with the Q&A session now. So for the first question, uh, I'll start off with a simple one. Um, so what were your subjects in school? And is there any one subject that you dreaded and why so? Uh, I dreaded many. <laughs> My subjects in school were very classic old school, physics, chemistry, maths, biology, and English in class 12. I have to say that I dreaded physics the most. Right, right. Close second was maths, uh, but I think with maths, um, it, it the minute I had a really good teacher, the the dread changed to awe. Right. Perhaps I never had a great teacher for physics, but physics. Right, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and uh, moving ahead, uh, as far as you know, what you're doing now, I noticed that you have an intersection of chemistry and biology in your education. So like, could you elaborate a bit more on how you decided to just pivot away from fundamental research and go into the public policy universe? And so, uh, you know, my, my PhD was uh, very specific. It was about understanding uh, protein aggregation. Um, so protein aggregation really is the underlying phenomenon that causes Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and a whole range of other diseases. But I got into it from the view of understanding what makes proteins stick together? And, you know, can you sort of, and again, it was completely, uh, so I must qualify that this was fundamental science. So this was in vitro work. I wasn't working on human samples. I was working with bacteria and I was making them make protein molecules and then understand under what conditions do these molecules come together. And uh, while doing this kind of reading, obviously you start reading a little bit more about the disease. You start reading a little bit more about uh, the people who get affected by the disease. And in continuation, I started reading about other public health problems in India. And somewhere there, I just felt that I wanted to work on a much broader scale than rather than solving mm -hmm. like one problem. And again, this is very personal. I mean, I, uh, I have to say that from my entire batch in, uh, at NCBS, I probably the only person who decided to move out of fundamental research. Uh, most people went on to do postdoctoral fellowships and are now running their own academic labs. Right, so, right. So like pure research, basically, but you wanted to do something broader. That's why I wanted to do something yeah. broader, yes. Right. Got it. 
so moving on um, according to you what are the various facets to biology you know after studying it so much and what different career options open up in addition to doing medicine obviously that's the common one everyone knows <laughs> i mean biology to be honest is is really fascinating and uh, you know there is an underlying physics and chemistry involved in almost every aspect of biology as well and and i think the difference between you know biology and the others is that you know small changes can have very large effects and your genetic composition and mine can be just a little bit different but the way we are as people behaviors it's it's very complex and there's a lot that is unknown so it's very wonderful if you're really interested in understanding why things work the way they do um so if you are you know so there there are there's one pathway that you go into medicine the second is actually clinical research which is very exciting which is you are working you are a doctor but you're also using the information you're getting from your patients to further understand why something is happening so you're doing say part time you're looking at patients but part time you're really spending in understanding and collaborating with researchers and saying okay you know what this patient had this value that didn't make sense to me so you know can you help me understand what is wrong and then of course you have the basic biology kind of fields you have i mean the fields are just endless as virology there's genetics there's uh, you know molecular medicine i mean there's so many options in just biology alone from actual practicing of medicine to research to um, you know to to developing tools to de- developing techniques that help you understand problems better to going into industries associated with health that it's it's really a very vast canvas which i think sadly most of us are not aware of at least at the undergrad at least i wasn't maybe things have changed right right no i would say it's the same mainly because you know people think biology and their mind clicks to medicine but i think it's very important to like explore you know if you're studying one subject in detail then you might as well just um you know explore the different areas it offers as you said there are so many subsections there are there are many right right uh so the next one is kind of an interesting one uh and i think it's very important because uh this is something that most people don't get to know so h- how would you describe a typical weekday in your life like right now okay so right now uh to to be honest i've just switched roles so i my my job i have to i have to this thing is only a week old so i really can't i i can't really speak much about uh, you know my job with the foundation because it's really so new uh, but typically it involves uh, working on 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 some aspect or some problem um so for instance a couple of things that i was i was doing and i hope to still find time to do if i can is uh you know we worked very we were working on a grant to really strengthen the clinical and research ecosystem in india so uh, a typical you know day would involve so we had divided how we would do this of course this is an enormous task so you decide which are the few areas in which you want to make an impact and you decide early as to how you want to make the impact so for instance one of the things that we had done is we had uh, in terms of uh, you know making it easier for people in research we built a website uh, which uh, which allows anyone who wants to do a trial in india like a clinical trial in india to access information on 
what are the various things that you need to do if you want to do a clinical trial in India. So this is called the clinical trials toolkit. So a part of the week was devoted to understanding if there's new guidance, you know, have regulators changed what they're saying that one needs to do for trials. A part of the day was spent on, we had, we developed a software where if anybody wanted to start a trial in India, if you're a part of an institution and you want to do a clinical trial, you need to get permission from an ethics committee. So we spent a lot of time automating that process, uh, which was especially valuable during the pandemic so that people could apply for applications online. So part of it was also understanding whether that was working okay and where people were facing any problems. So that's more just the, the sort of day-to-day -day running aspects of it. The other is that there are projects that come and go. For instance, uh, there's a Lancet Commission currently ongoing on reimagining India's healthcare system. So that involves a lot of research to sort of understand uh, the different aspects of India's health system, why they are where they are, and then looking at literature from, let's say, other countries, maybe in the region or maybe globally to look at what we can do differently. Then there's time that is spent on working with collaborators and understanding how different projects are moving. So you are often in multiple collaborative projects where you have to, uh, you know, people are stuck at various points. There's a lot of collaborative work. So it's really a mix of, of, of project management, uh, sort of um, uh, project research, um, as well as uh, coordination. Right. So it's not just uh, research. That's what I originally had in mind. Well, no. I mean, it's not completely always research. No. Right. Because, you know, one thing that you have to remember is that when you enter into the policy uh, arena, uh, there are going to be different types of research that you need to engage with, depending on the specific policy question that you are going to answer. So that is can be very exciting for some people, which means that, you know, today, say the country wants to do something on immunization. Tomorrow, let's say they say, okay, you know what, we've got our vaccines under control, but we really want to figure out how I can diagnose fever in the field, but I want, to, I want to know whether it is typhoid or I want to know whether it is chikungunya or I want to know if it's dengue. So the questions keep changing. And uh, so it, it, you know, you will do a lot of reading and you will do a lot of desk work, but it also means that you have to lie with the right people. You have to ask experts in the field. Uh, you have to work yeah. with the government to figure out what their priorities are. So it's a lot of um, interesting coordination work also to bring all the relevant people onto a debate and a dialogue to actually evolve strategy. So it's never completely just desk research, no. Right, right. It would be interesting to know what the future looks like for your field, uh, like not just uh, in a broad sense, I mean. Um, so, uh, well, in my field, which is right now going to be devices and diagnostics, I think uh, the future is obviously really exciting because, uh, you know, what, what the pandemic has done is uh, really like, we've known this all along, but I think what it's shed a lot of light on is the importance for uh, devices and diagnostics at scale and at, uh, you know, which are affordable and which are easy to use and which have quick turnaround times. So I think there is a lot of uh, new things that can happen in terms of discovery in that space. Uh, the other really big change that has happened is of course, uh, you know, with, with the onset of computers and big data and computing 
is that just that we have a lot of power to finally use a lot of data that's coming from different parts of the world to not only make predictions, but also to do quicker analysis. So these are the two, I think, artificial intelligence and machine learning, as well as new technologies, um, rapid turn around technologies for diagnostics, I see as two really key things in the future. Those, you know, you have wearable devices, uh, you know, maybe you don't need to go to a doctor all the time, you know, maybe you can do telemedicine, maybe there'll be patches that will help you monitor, um, you know, in things on your own. So, I mean, there's, there's infinite possibilities, really. Nice. So I think we've had a lively discussion this evening. I would like to thank you, Dr. Shekhar, for being here today and sharing your valuable insights. Thanks to you and thanks to the organizers. Thank you.